So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to turn into the book of Mark chapter 6, where you can listen to me as I read some scripture today. So we're going to talk about the homecoming. Homecomings are meant to be fun. Homecomings are, uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement and anticipation of, of being reunited with, with relations that we haven't seen in a long time. And, and we love homecomings. We love people who come home to us. We love to go home and see our, our friends and our families that we haven't seen today. So we're going to review a homecoming today that didn't turn out according to plan. And we'll see how Jesus handles this and uh, how that it didn't go well with his family and friends like you perhaps would expect us. And I think we can relate to this today. I think we can relate to close relations that we have who are far from God. And, and because you follow Jesus, they don't always appreciate uh, the message and who you are and what you stand for, your purpose in life. You know, when I go back home to my hometown, which I was raised, I would consider Topeka, Kansas, my hometown. And I go back there, and the friends that I grew up and some of my best friends are far from God. And, and it saddens me to see them in that struggle of life, of uh, believing and trusting God. And uh, so uh, I, I identify, and maybe you identify this as well, as people that you know you grew up with or your close relations are far from God, and they're, they're on a different path than you're on. Well, Jesus faced a similar situation. We're going to find out some things that will help us in this. So let's look at Mark chapter 6, and uh, we're going through the book of Mark, and we read verse 1. Let's read verse 1, and I want to stop and comment about the context here. It says in chapter 6 and verse 1 of Mark, it says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. So Jesus is coming home. Now let's pause and refresh our memory where Jesus is at in this journey. Uh, we, we've... Remember how we've gone through a place where, where he was in Nazareth and he travels down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And uh, this is the start of his public ministry. So if you, just, if you were looking at a map, Nazareth is here and he comes down, the, uh, travels down to the Jordan River and, and down there, kind of like where the Dead Sea, right before the day, there's John the Baptist who is ministering down there, and he comes down there, travels down there, and is baptized of John the Baptist. Now, this, this is important because as we think about, Jesus is stepping out into his public ministry at the age of about 30 years old. And so this is the beginning of his public ministry. It is the first step as he is, is taking this publicly, and then he travels on and he does some wonderful things in the, in the following three years. I want to say this. It is the first step in being a follower of Jesus, getting baptized. If you've not been baptized, I encourage you to take that step. This is what Jesus would do, and this is what Jesus would have you do in following Jesus. And that connection card that we talked about earlier, mark it on there. I'm interested in talking to somebody about being baptized, or just come up and talk to them. It's important for you. You're, it's a first step, and it, and it says a lot to you about how you're going to proceed from there on. And so don't diminish what baptism means to you. And uh, we can talk more about that. 
But here's what, Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, and he travels back up to the top of the Jordan River to the Sea of, of, uh, of Galilee and Capernaum, and he does, kind of, kind of makes this his home place where he does most of his ministry. We talked about that, that uh, uh, traveling across the, 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 the sea there, and, and Kevin talked about how that they were in that ship and the storm came and, and, uh, and, and they had to trust uh, God was going to deliver them and, and he calmed the storm. And, and he goes over to the other side of that sea and, and he uh, heals the demonic man. And, and that was a fabulous story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And so he's doing all this healing, this miracle. There's, there's people that are coming to know Jesus and, and following him and, and, and uh, they're becoming believers in God true believers of God. And in that process, there's also 12 men that he gathers. And in these 12 men ha have left their livelihood and are on the journey with Jesus. And they become followers of Jesus in, in a very physical uh, sense, as well as spiritual sense, that they follow him uh, these three years. They've left their, their home, they've left their, their livelihood, and they're, they're stepping out by faith and following Jesus. And so they follow him, and on the other side, in Mark chapter 5, there's also the healing of uh, that young lady. He ends in chapter Mark chapter 5, and then the, the, the lady with the issue of blood. So some great things are happening here. So we get the scene that now Jesus is going back to Nazareth. He's got these 12 men, and they're with him, and they're excited. And I could just imagine they're talking about, oh, they're talking about the things that happened, you know, how, how God was so good to us, how he blessed us and, and the, the healing and, and just the, the stories. And, and maybe Jesus is thinking, and I'm just thinking between the lines here, but if I was in Jesus, I would thinking about, I can't wait to get home. And first of all, have some of mom's cooking <laughs> and, uh, and, to just, and to share with what God has been doing, and this is going to be wonderful. We're going to sit around, and, and I'll be able to share these things and then catch up on the family news, what's happening in Nazareth, and seeing his friends. And so he is, he is excited, and, and maybe he's excited about uh, introducing his family to, to his new friends, these 12 disciples. And, and so there seems, I would seem to, there would be there is some this great expectation of coming to Nazareth. So let's go to verse chapter 2 because something else happens. It says in verse 2, And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So he comes there, and, and, he, and, he, and as, as Jesus would do, uh, go into an area, and, and he would go to the Sabbath, and they would give him opportunity to teach, and he would teach. And their response to this, as Jesus faced a crown, they wondered how he became so powerful in both word and works. Jesus left the Na uh, Nazareth as a carpenter, and he comes back like a rabbi, complete with a group of disciples. Here he comes, and the Bible says they were astonished, or, the, or another word would be, they were amazed at this. Jesus, he went away a nobody and came back home a home of somebody. And you would think they would be happy and rejoice with all the good that Jesus had accomplished. Let's go to verse 3, and I want to read out of the New Living Translations. It says, it says then they scoffed. 
He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Hmm. A different uh, reaction to Jesus' message. I don't know about you, but whenever uh, I teach or preach, I always like to have some kind of good response from it. It really helps uh, the speaker. And Jesus, he, he gives this message, and here it is. They criticize Jesus. Now, this is his hometown. These are, this is his family. This is his friends. So let's break this down I'm going to show you how this was discussed. First of all, he said, he said that he's just a carpenter. He's just a carpenter. Pointing out Jesus had no formal theological training. He's just a carpenter. He's, not a, he's never had a rabbi training. He hasn't been to rabbi Bible college. or uh, He's just a carpenter. And uh, so they, they made fun of, of his position, of his knowledge of who, who he was. And then here's something else. They, they called him the son of Mary. Now, you would think that maybe this might be a compliment, but actually it's not in the Jewish culture. And, and you find that this is true as you read in the Bible. When, when it's described somebody, it will, more than often, it will say the son of, and it will reference to the father, the son of Adam, the son of Noah. They will reference to the father. Now, so here's, here we have these guys, and they were saying that Jesus was the son of Mary. And so it was meant to be an insult. And now maybe Joseph had passed on, but even if that was so, still in the Jewish culture, they would still uh, make reference to the father. But here he was saying he's the son of Mary. Described them, and, and, and this was not meant to be a compliment, but actually an insult. So I'm saying that if you wanted to insult me in a Jewish culture, you would call, you would say, Gary, you son of Arlene. <laughs> That's my mother's name. <laughs> and you would insult me in the Jewish culture. And then we'd, we'd go behind the barn and duke it out. No, <laughs> that would be a reaction to something. In going with this thread of scoffing, they mention his brothers and sisters as probably as a means to look at them and, they, and saying, listen, you, you, you're Jesus, and you come here with this message, and you think that you've got this great message, but your brothers and sisters, they aren't anything special. I think that was meant to be a put down. Some believe that uh, when we look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, that remained a virgin her whole life, it's obvious in the scripture that she had multiple kids in her life. Uh, uh, so uh, anyway, so Mary was not to be, calm son of Mary was not to be a compliment, but an insult. Now look at here. It says it, they were offended and refused to believe. They knew little enough about him, Jesus, to think that they knew everything about him. Why were they offended? Why would, why would they come across, you know, uh, uh, such unkind words to, to somebody who grew up? And, and we can think of, um, you know, maybe they, it was jealous, it was envious, 
They didn't agree with what he was saying. But ultimately, as we track Jesus' life, there was always this, this evil undercurrent, that a satanic presence that was following Jesus wherever he went to stir people up, to continue to combat him in his race. And my friend, if you've not discovered this, as you follow Jesus, there are going to be an evil undercurrent that you will face in your life and your walk with the Lord. Ephesians says, says this, and to remind us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not the human person that, that we may be getting the, the negative vibes from and words from. We are wrestling with something greater than this. That there's a spiritual battle that goes on in our life as we become the, the point man for God, for Jesus, as we, as we stand up. And I find that, that maybe when Jesus, when he came there and everything was good until he came and he started to open the Bible and started to share what God was doing, his life, then that became the conflict in people's life. If Jesus wouldn't have said anything, things might have gone smoothly. If Jesus wouldn't have, have stood up and told the truth uh, about God, things would have been okay and, and, and at peace. But when we open our mind, our, our mind or our mouth to talk about God and what he has done for our life, sometimes that stirs that conflict up in our life. Now, look, now the scriptures has the idea that they were offended. And because they were offended, they refused to believe. Now, I think that's a very important thing for us to understand this. Because when you're talking to people, and you would seem that it would be so obvious Okay, this person has been raised from the dead. This person has been dramatically healed. Why wouldn't an individual believe? And, and prejudice can be so blinding. Uh, it seems that it kept them from believing. They're prejudiced. They, they were offended, and therefore they choose not to believe. Some of the things that just didn't sit with them, and, then, and so they refused Everything that came out of Jesus' mouth, they refused because of some of their thinking that was incorrect about Jesus. Let's go to verse 4. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and his own household. Jesus accepted rejection as a price of a faithful prophet must pay. Though it must have hurt him badly to be rejected by friends and neighbors. Next verse, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few people, a sick people and healed them. Jesus' power and work was lim limited in this climate of unbelief. This was in respect to God's principle, partnership with man. God may work with no belief or ignorance, but not with unbelief, people who choose not to believe. There's a big difference in that. People who have no belief, they're just ignorant. But when you tell them the script, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a choice that we get to make with that. But people who have no or unbelief, they choose not to believe. And this is what happened to the family and friends. Mark chapter 6 and verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief and went about among the village teaching. He marveled. This phrase is talking about Jesus, or another word, would be amazed. 
And when Jesus was talking about being amazed, there were a couple, there was a couple times that he is amazed about people's, people's life and what they did. And it was had to do with their belief or their faith. He was amazed at people who would believe. He was amazed at the man who was healed, his son is healed, and he came to Jesus and he says, you know, Jesus, if you're a commander, I'm a commander. If you just speak, my son will be healed. And Jesus was amazed at that. He said, so what faith of this person has? And then he was amazed at people who did not believe, who choose not to believe. And this was such a case. A homecoming was not filled with love and acceptance like we want a homecoming. It seems to me there was no warm, fuzzy feelings. He was met with unbelief and criticism. We know that Jesus would experience criticism from his enemies as light is penetrating into the darkness, and there are those who would reject him. But Jesus experienced unbelief and rejection from his own siblings and childhood and friends. That's a different level. It's a different when, when the people that are closest to your heart, your blood relatives, those your friends that you have known the longest and they know you the longest, and when they reject you, when they criticize you as a, a follower of Jesus, that's a different level. It's a different hurt. And I know that this may be heavy, but there's goodness out of this. The ones who are supposed to be are the most supportive and the first in line, they reject you. What do we do with this? What do we do with, and, and many of you have family. I know some of your lives, you have family that, that you're concerned about, and they don't get you. And you have friends in, in your life that, that you have are brokenhearted about the life that they're choosing. And you want them so bad, just like Jesus did with his family and his friends to believe, and they don't. What do you do with that? How do we handle that? Well, let's look at what Jesus did, all right? I'm going to give you four things what Jesus did. First of all, Jesus didn't react. Number one, Jesus didn't react, but he responded. Reacting is, is like going with your emotions in the moment. Reacting to rejection is, can be fueled by, by uh, the flesh and emotion. It's kind of the natural thing to do. You said hurtful things to me, so I'm going to react with hurtful things back to you. We call this a, a knee-jerk reaction. But Jesus didn't react. And this is a big thing. He responded. He responded with godliness. Jesus, as we look at his life, he responded. And he could respond because in this, those people that were close to him, Jesus valued someone's thought who was closer to, then, to him than his family and friends. You see, there was somebody closer to his heart than his best friends, somebody closer to his heart, to the, to the blood relatives, to his media family. And that was God, God the Father. You see, it wasn't just a two-way street with Jesus and the critics. There was another one who Jesus was closest to God the Father, the Spirit of God. And Jesus could respond in godliness because, you know, 
the loudest voice that Jesus heard was God the Father because he was the one that was nearest to his heart. And the critics and those who reject you are going to impact you if they are closer to you than God. If their voice is going to be louder than God's voice, yes, they're going to derail you. Yes, they're going to bother you. Yes, they're going to offend you. Yes, they're going to deter you. Yes, they're going to cause you to stop. But if God's voice is the loudest and most dearest in your life, if his word is the most dearest and precious to you, do with any other words, then you can respond in godliness. And Jesus could respond because his friend was God. His best friend was God. His closest uh, person, relative, was God the Father. Well, Jesus ends up by being close to Jesus. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus' disciples end up being closer to Jesus than his relatives and childhood and his friends. If you've been saved a long time or even saved a short time, you find that this kind of takes place in, in your life. So you become a believer, and you start following Jesus Christ. And, and, but then you know your, your family doesn't go along with that. And your friends don't go along. But soon, you start developing friendships and relations that are closer than your family and your childhood friends. Your church family becomes your family. And sometimes in your small groups, those, those friends in your small group, as you're doing life together, like Jesus was in the disciples, they become closer to, to you than your family your immediate family, or your friends. Unless your immediate family, of course, is follower of Jesus Christ as well, or your friends. Responding like Jesus takes a pre-planned decision with a thoughtful view of truth. He knew who he was. He knew God's purpose for his life, and nothing was going to deter Jesus from what he knew, what he knew God wanted for his life. And you may ask, okay, what's Jesus' purpose? Let me give it to you very clear. Jesus was here upon the earth. He was upon the earth here, and, and this is his purpose. I wrote, wrote this down. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came in the world to save the world. Jesus said, I didn't come in, come to make you feel guilty. I, did, I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to heap on guilt and blame and shame. He said, I came to take those things off your shoulders. I came to relieve you of guilt. I came to forgive you of sin. I came to show you real life. I came to show you that you could have a new beginning. This was Jesus' purpose, to give life, to glorify the Father. And when people didn't go along with that, he was okay. Because that was his purpose. That was his goal. Number two, I, I think Jesus also, and I, and I just want to elevate this point again, Jesus responds with grace. Notice this, that what is said should speak the loudest truth. Notice that what isn't said that should speak the loudest truth. Jesus didn't respond back, or react and get back in their face with some kind. And believe me, he knew the scriptures, and he could have piled a bunch of scriptures upon them and just strong arm and just get into their face like, like nobody, but he backed off. He planted the seed, 
then he backed off because he saw their unbelief. Jesus responds with love and grace. And with those who are close to us that criticize us for following Jesus, let's respond with love and grace. Love is the highest calling and the most powerful truth. He backed off. He didn't feel guilty. He did, but we don't have any. He just kind of like walked away. Number three, and Jesus responds by moving on to fertile ground. He goes to other villages. He leaves that home, leaves them where they're at, and goes on to hearts that would believe. Remember not too long ago, back in earlier chapters in Mark, the farmer sowing the seed, the four receptions of the seeds. Remember that? How that Jesus, uh, the farmer is going out. It's like giving the word out. And there would be some that would fall on fertile ground. There was some that would fall on hard ground. And so Jesus, with this principle that he gave the seed and it wouldn't be received, there was unbelief there. It was hard. And it's just like if we were to take the seed and go out into this parking lot, and we start putting seed on the parking lot and then expect some fruit come out of it. And we kept throwing seed, and we kept throwing seed out there, and we kept throwing, expecting. We know because it's not going to grow because it's concrete. It's hard. It's not receiving. It's not receivable. And Jesus, he goes on. Remember, if, if you remember the story, and we're going to look at it uh, next Sunday, is that when he sends out the, the disciples two by two into different parts, and, and as he sends them out, he says, he says, now, if those villages, if those towns don't receive you, you shake the dust off your feet and, and you move on because there are other people, there's other people with hearts that are tender, their hearts that are, that are receptive. As you think about this, here's, here's Nazareth who didn't receive Jesus and his message, and then there's Capernaum. Oh, my goodness, great revival. People were saved and, and, and hearts, uh, you know, changing and lives are being changed and people are healed and what a great time was with the gospel, but not Nazareth. And so Jesus moves on and he goes, eventually goes back to Capernaum a well. Listen, there's a time where those who have clearly heard the gospel, and there's also a time that you move on. Never waste your time trying to explain who you are to people who are committed to misunderstanding you. Jesus responds by moving on to fertile ground. That's sad. That's hard. But there's a good point to all this, and I want to use it number four. Jesus responds with following the Spirit of God. We would say that Jesus completely followed the Spirit of God wherever every move we would say and and we believe that he was right on cue with what the Spirit of God was directing him to do. Now think about this. Okay, here's Jesus, Capernaum, great things happening, spiritual movement, revival, and then he moves him to Nazareth, and nothing happens. There's all a few people were healed, but for overall he was rejected. If we believe that Jesus was moving every part of his life as the Spirit of God, then we would have to say this. Now, listen, you'd have to say this, that the Spirit of God moved him to the place to come to Nazareth. Now, for us, it wouldn't make sense. 
like what Joe was talking about, that scripture, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. That would make sense for us, but it does to God. Why would God do this? Perhaps there, there needed to be seed planted for a time of repentance later on. And this is what happened. The brothers and sisters of Jesus, we read in Acts chapter 1, when, when they were in the prayer, they did come, come to a place of belief. It was after the resurrection of Jesus. And so maybe it was just a seed planting time that Jesus, was, that was the Spirit of God moving. You need to go over here, tell them the word, and, and they're going to think about that. Life's going to happen, but they'll remember and then they will believe. Maybe that's what's happening. I don't know, but maybe it's this, to give an example as well as an inspiration for those who would be re rejected by their families. You know, I don't know about you, but every, every person that I talk to about Jesus, not everyone says, oh, Gary, tell me more about this Jesus who you're talking about. <laughs> I find that the opposite. Most of the people, when I share this, the gospel, they reject us. When a Messianic Jew who comes to know Jesus, and, and um, most of the time, a lot of times, the family will totally reject them and even have funerals. My friend Phil Savalowski, his family, when he became a believer, his family had an actual funeral service, called the family in, and it had an actual, because they believed that he was no longer alive. He was, they were, uh, Phil was dead to his family. And so maybe Jesus was showing this, that Jesus, now if we had a Jesus who went to every town and spoke to every person, and they believed, and they were converted to Christianity, and we would say that, and when we faced rejection, we would say to Jesus, oh, Jesus, you don't understand, that. Jesus, everywhere you went, you could never relate to me. But Jesus can relate to you in every point of your life. Jesus can relate to you because he faced rejection as well. I think rejection is also a great barometer to read our hearts, how sincere they are. How, if somebody rejects us, and we fold, and we stop, and we quit. You know, there are going to be some things that maybe even I do, or some of the leadership does, or, or somebody does as a Christian, and, and you're going to hear about that, and, and it's maybe cause you to no longer start coming to church, to stop, to stop reading your Bible, to stop following Jesus. But there are also other people who are going to hear things, have things done to them that may not be right, and they're going to be rejected, but yet they are determined, and they're going to follow God. It gives an indication of the maturity of our walk with Jesus. Jesus' homecoming was filled with unbelief and rejected and revealed that his purpose was deeper than their opinion, deeper than a crowd's chant, crucify him, deeper than the suffering on the cross, deeper, uh, Jesus' purpose was deeper than his own life and he was willing to die for his purpose. He was committed to, to that. Rejection even from his own family and childhood and friends wasn't going to stop him from following the will of the Father. 
Can I ask you a question? What would stop you from following Jesus? I think every believer needs to wrestle with that question and needs to come up with an answer to that. Would it be pain? Would it be sickness? Would it be rejection? Would it be disappointment? What would it be in our life that would cause us to stop following Jesus? See, I think we need to, re uh, to answer that question because if we don't go through this process of thinking and because there are going to be people who reject us, there are going to be things that are going to happen, there's going to be difficult things in our, in our life. And, and we need to pre-think this before we face those times. This is given from a missionary to Africa. His was, name was Lewis Robinson Chapman. He was a missionary between 1920 and 1940. And as they were going through a, an African pa pastor's home and things and papers, uh, of an African pastor who had been martyred for his faith, been martyred for being a Christian. And so they went through his pages, and, and they found this note that says a lot about this African pastor who had predetermined by God's grace what he would do. And it found in this, and I want to read this. He said, I found this among his paper in Zimbabwe after his martyr for his Christian faith, the moving testimony of a martyr. He said this. He said, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with this low living, low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by his patience, lift up by power, and labor by a Holy Spirit. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My robe may be narrow. My way rough. My companions few. But my God, my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not no negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problems recognize me. My colors will be very clear. Only could we ever face that great rejection as this man did, or as Jesus, when we've already made that commitment, that dedication, God, that's the path I want to follow. Would you bow your heads in prayer?
So we have our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you have anyone in your life who is close to you, perhaps a family member that is away from God, that they don't believe, could I pray with you? It's a hard thing. Might have a brother, a sister, maybe even a parent, a grandparent, a close friend, and you have, you have such a burden for them. And it can be difficult. You see the struggle of life, and you want so much for them to know Jesus and his peace and love. Let's pray and never give up on them and love them, but don't let them deter you. Don't let them make you back down. Don't give up. And perhaps you're here today and you're a believer or you're not a believer and you're struggling with belief. And this is a great place to, to struggle with belief because we're going to encourage you. We won't condemn you. Perhaps we'll give you some answers to some questions that you might have to help you with that. We would love to pray for you about this as well. Father, First of all, as the disciples cried out to Jesus, help our unbelief. Help those who struggle with believing. Help them not let their heart become hard like concrete. Rejecting your words. Coming up with frivolous arguments that have no substance to them. Help them to not be offended by you or your words, but be open to your truth. And Father, I pray for believers here that, that are struggling with helping the people that are close to them. Jesus knows and can relate to us with this. And so, Father, as only like you can, Comfort our hearts, give us wisdom. And may we have the presence of God in such a way that we will know when to say things and when not to say things. And how to say truth in love. And Father, that you may work in their hearts and that one day, like Jesus, brothers and sisters and mother will be there praying for him, believing just like Jesus spoke. God, have your way. We'll follow it in Jesus' name. Amen.